0: I was taken into a room which was initially confusing because I could see that it was a square shape but it seemed it seemed spherical so there was this um, yeah. a, a real confusion about what what am I in here
1: yeah.
0: um, and in the center of the room on a pedestal was this big sloping screen and it was divided into thousands of or hundreds of little um, uh, grids like like a maths mass grid and um and superimposed over underneath that grid was our milky way galaxy was our galaxy and um that's why i nicknamed it the galaxy screen and he showed me how um just by touching a grid he could bring up into the air around in the room this uh, uh a holographic display you might want to call it um augmented reality so he could bring up whatever was in that, so be it a, a, a dust cloud or be it um, a, a group of planets or whatever, then he could zoom them in and out. So uh, we'd, we played around with that for a bit. He let me touch some grids and see what came up. Uh, it was phenomenal and he, he I won't go into it, but he described what their database was like, which just completely blew Dr. Shield's mind when we talked about this. Um, So then he said to me okay I'm going to show you something because this will help you with your sense of commitment in your life and he reached into my mind as I've described before and he drew out a phrase which was this will give you fire in your belly. So um, he then brought up uh, the grid that had our planet in it and he, he made it so that earth was hanging there and he talked about um, how something had happened in our recent past, which was extremely significant, which was why a lot of races have come to the planet uh, before that time and just after. And um, he asked me to prepare myself because I was going to see something sobering. And then he began to make reduce the size of the planet. And um,
1: you got to accentuate the positive. You're listening to Karen Swain, teacher of deliberate creation, accentuating the positive, showing you a way to a better life. Accentuating the positive, it's not just fad, it's sanity. Who in their right mind would accentuate anything else? Hello and welcome to another show, Accentuating the Positive with Karen Swain. Sorry, I've got a little bit of the, you know, winter cold at the moment. I've got my lemon and ginger tea here. <laughs> but I have another fascinating guest to introduce you to today. Her name is Susie Hansen, And Susie is the author of The Dual Soul Connection and The Alien Agenda for Human Advancement with contribution by Dr. Rudy Childs, emeritus Professor of Astrophysics, Harvard-Smithsonian Centre, for Astrophysics, Cambridge, USA. She's the mother of two sons. Susie was a teacher for 28 years, teaching school children of many ages, as well as being a grief counsellor for many years as well. She's a researcher, investigator, author, and contactee experiencer herself and the founding director of UFO or U-Focus New Zealand. It's kind of like UFO, S-U-S. It's very clever the way you've done that, Susie. A nationwide UFO sighting, investigation and research network and coordinator of the Communicator Link, a support group for those experiences and contact-related phenomena. Susie was instrumental in lobbying the New Zealand Chief of Defence, for the release of the New Zealand UFO files in 2010-2011. Very good. I'm going to talk about that. Susie has spent almost 41 years in the UFO field and has lectured internationally since 1997 uh, about New Zealand UFO sightings and her own contact experiences. Susie's focus for the last decade has been on encouraging members of the scientific community to participate in examining the wealth of science-related details contained in accounts and extraterrestrial contact. She lives in Taronga on the beautiful island of New Zealand. So great to have you on the show, Susie. Welcome. Thank you very much, Karen. Thank you.
0: Very pleased to be talking to you today.
1: I tell you what, wow, you're you know, your experiences. I've been watching a few of your YouTube clips. I haven't had time to read your book as yet, but the book sounds amazing, amazing, amazing. And you've such extensive experiences. I have one question I want to start you with before we get into your experience. Do you still have contact with them? Are they still taking you up there and Yes, I do. The contact has changed, I think, over the years.
0: Um, According to the the place in the timeline, what I call the timeline at the moment, Mm -hmm. um, I think that actually fewer people are actually being taken on board at the moment. It's very much a cyclic thing in the same way as a sighting investigator, I find that uh, sightings seem to go in cycles. And at the moment, we seem to be in a real dip in that cycle, a downward dip where there doesn't seem to be much happening. And, um, and I think this, the same relates to the contact field. My most recent contact was just before I spoke at the uh, UFO Congress in the States. Uh, and it seems to be that when I'm about to do something, I, I get a contact um, and, and come away with it with some information or insight that's, that's very useful
1: wow so is the contact are they taking you in your physical body or are they taking you out of your physical into your astral body how is it happening
0: uh in in the early days it was almost always in the physical body and then um you know back in the 70s and 80s and early and 90s even Mm -hmm. but i think for me at least it has changed where i go in the astral body um go as a ball of light if i can put it that way um, yeah. there are other ways that they can speak to you telepathically etc
1: exactly you know i've been thinking about this because humans are pretty smelly i don't know what they if if they smell i don't know what their olfactory senses like but humans are pretty smelly you know if someone has alcohol or garlic or beer, you know if you're on a bar, I mean humans are smelly i would imagine that to extraterrestrial life you don't eat you know they would be pretty hygienic their environment would be so different to ours that the human body would be pretty offensive to them <laughs> that's what i think mean.
0: yes um
1: i think that's quite right actually i know they
0: get they get very frustrated with us but um in my in my experience they do eat but it's not eating as we know it but right. they do absorb and consume yeah um however i think that um they definitely have a, a very advanced olfactory abilities because um, right. uh, in, in the book I describe how on one occasion I was involved in a healing or medical healing session on a craft where one of the entities actually was um, was smelling the cancer on a human who'd been taken on board the craft. And that was many, many years ago. And we now know that dogs can do this because they've got right. that advanced olfactory Um, ability and that now I just saw in the news the other day that a woman who could can actually um, smell cancer on people on their breath so um, so you know there's quite a lot of things that I have talked about over the years that at the time seemed like science fiction and I almost felt self-conscious talking about these things because they were quite out there and in the last 10 years ago much of what I talked about decades ago is now being confirmed by science and some of that technology is actually being, um, uh, you know, constructed by us.
1: I know. Oh, there's so much to talk about. You know, just, I just want to tell you a little story. A friend of mine's sister was diagnosed with cancer recently. And the reason that she went to the doctor was her cat kept hitting her breast mm. and just kept, you know, like just, and she's like, go away, go away. But the cat persisted. And so she went to the doctor and she had breast cancer. Yeah. The animals, they know. Okay. So, um, yeah, I wondered about that because you know I think children probably have less—they're less offensive, their physical body to the aliens than than adults. And the older we get, I think the smellier we get too.
0: <laughs> you know, like. And they have been known to talk to experiences and abductees about the fact that we actually have—we have parasites and we have things that live yes. on our skin and
1: exactly. our
0: hair, et cetera, that they don't have. So
1: exactly, unclean. You know, I you know speak, speaking of Donna Lynn was one of the last contact uh, shows I did, and um, I, you know a lot of what they do to us is not to hurt us, but to protect them because they're so, yeah. They don't have the parasites that live on their skin and the stuff that live. I know it's like when you look in the, under the microscope at what lives on us. It's just like it's a farm. All right, so. <laughs> And they don 't have that, so they need to protect themselves in some way from our you know if they take our physical bodies up on the craft so so today they 're basically just taking your just taking your essence your soul your you know your consciousness out, and you 're hanging out up there as a ball of light. Are you or are you in an astral form
0: yes, um usually in a ball of light but um but there have been physical body um contacts as well in the last eight years they have been uh, fewer than they have been in the past
1: oh wow okay so this all started okay the next question i want to ask you really is the dual soul connection what do you mean by the dual soul connection
0: okay well um i, I describe in chapter nine of my book uh, soul origin how um I had a a flashback kind of memory many years ago of actually what I assumed at the time was me coming into this life. And it was about 20 years went by before I got brave enough to actually explore it in uh, hypnotherapy. But what I recalled was being in front of um, a group of of uh mixed species you know there were there were entities that looked like us human like there were others there were balls of light there was a whole spectrum of um of entities that that i was in front of and i was in front of them in the form of a of a ball of purple light and i was accompanied by a ball of blue light and um through consciousness we were all able to to converse, if I can put it that way, hold this conversation, which was rather like a job interview because the discussion taking place was around whether or not I could do certain tasks in my life and whether or not I was willing to to do some of those tasks in association with what we know as extraterrestrial species. And when I made that decision that I was willing to do that, they assessed whether they thought I was up up to doing it and so there immediately goes our concept of free will, because it was a consensus decision. It wasn't a decision solely made by me. And when I, made, when I said, yes, I would be willing to do that, then um, what took place after that, before I incarnated here as mm-hmm. Susie Hansen, mm-hmm. was um, a contact and training period on board a grey craft, where as a ball of light, with others, I was actually educated and prepared for this life in in the the programs that I talk about, the agenda that I talk about. And part of that was before incarnation, I was, uh, my soul was melded with a piece of consciousness from one of the greys. So we had this dual Consciousness is dual soul ability that is able to tap into their reality and tap into their consciousness at certain times when it's necessary to do so. Um, I've actually been approached by a number of people since my book came out. Mm. and describing very, very similar memories that they have, mm. uh, memories of going on, board craft as children and being told about this as I was. Mm. Um, the earliest recollection was when I was eight years old and it was discussed with me. So um, there's other people out there with this same understanding and um, it's been very interesting to to look at, at how they describe it and what they've experienced and what they believe their tasks are and what they're doing in life at present so uh, in the next book that I'm writing at the moment I'll be going much more into this dual soul and the use of the, con- the consciousness
1: wonderful oh wonderful because I, I that this part of it you know fascinates me um, yeah because as I said Donna Lynn have you met Donna she's an American no, she no. described <laughs> similar same same similar but different um, when I spoke to her on the show, she said that she was, um, yeah, she saw herself with the ETs choosing what she would do on this life. And she had like a plate and she was picking things up and putting it on her plate. And they were saying, Oh, it's a bit much, you know, divorce, (laughs) sickness, whatever. And she said, one of the things she put on her plate was, um, lifetime ET contact, which is what you're talking about. So you said that, that you take a bit of, the consciousness of a of an alien consciousness so i don't know what to call it soul consciousness and it melds with uh, your spirit or the part of you that will incarnate yeah yes
0: that's right and it's interesting you've just mentioned the, the phrase part of what of you that will incarnate because during this process that i describe um when i woke up in the in the field of consciousness and was offered two different lives this one and another one which incidentally was as an intelligent sponge-like form on a newly form, newly developing planet um i actually had this this feeling of being drawn to this life and um and knowing that there was something very difficult to do in it and knowing that it wasn't going to be an easy life so it actually hasn't been so far either.
1: <laughs> Is anybody's life easy? I mean, <laughs> exactly. Yes, um,
0: not these days. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, some people, I suppose. But uh, I know a few people have had, had a pretty easy life. But many people, yeah. Well, that's interesting to make that choice between a sponge-like formation, and uh, it seems a very different choice. It seems like a completely. Maybe you had many other choices that you don't remember. They were just the ones that they let you remember.
0: No, actually, I was offered about five, and I oh, narrowed okay. down to those two, and um, and I, in, I was given the opportunity to look into those lives, and oh, I, right. it was explained to me that both of those lives uh, would require the same level of commitment. Right, And the, the word commitment was the key word for this life. And it would have been the key word for that life as well. Mm-hmm. And, um, and just recently, actually, I saw on, I was doing some research on the internet and saw that it was in our newspaper here in New Zealand too, that uh, scientists are saying that one of the earliest forms of life on a developing planet, which is what they was described to me, it was a sponge-like form. So it's very interesting that that's the other life that I could have lived. But I decided that something that um, had a bit more content to it than sitting in one place, um, providing a new life form that would eventually develop was just a bit too boring.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. Oh, wow. Okay. So, you know, in, in your book, it says here that at the age of 20 your life changed on a lonely country road in daylight as your car was engulfed in a massive ball of white light, resulting in 90 minutes of missing time. But you actually had childhood connections. What was happening at 20? Did you not remember your childhood um, contacts when you were 20 and, and then this experience brought it all back? What was happening?
0: well um in childhood i had quite a lot of experiences and memories but um i mean i was only a child and in those days in 1950s and 60s new zealand um everyone went to church or most people went to church on a sunday it was a community thing that you did and um and i went to sunday school and was brought up for you know quite a lot of my childhood in that kind of environment And um, so my mother's family was very psychic. They, You know, my great aunts, my grandmother, my mother and brothers and sisters were all very um, psychic people who had precognition and all that kind of thing that many experiences describe. And so when I talked about this, um, it was couched to me in terms of being a guardian angel or being a family member who's passed over, who was coming in to look on me. But the entities that appeared by my bed at night didn't look anything like an angel. They didn't look anything like a um, a relative. They were golden silhouettes. They didn't let me see at that age the, their distinct um, characteristics. So I saw these golden silhouettes by my bed that um, emitted a very loving feeling towards me that would tell me they were taking me somewhere Then I wouldn't remember anymore in the middle. And then I'd remember sometimes them bringing me back and thanking me, and I would just go straight to sleep. Mm. So those were quite loving, pleasant memories. Um, But when this incident of missing time and my car being engulfed in white light and being lifted off the road, and then some missing time happening, that seemed like something very different to me. And at that time... I didn't relate it back to my childhood memories okay. and I went through um, quite a few years into my late 20s and early 30s where um, where I questioned what was happening to me because I had more incidents like that happen with the missing time and quite frightening things happening around those incidents and um, it took some years to come to terms with the fact that that some contact was happening um we were hearing in New Zealand little whispers and stories of reports from estates of um abductions etc and it mm-hmm. seemed to me like that may be what I was experiencing but the stories that we were hearing in New Zealand were very negative and um mm-hmm. although the surround the ex- circumstances surrounding some of those experiences were frightening like your car being engulfed and lifted off the road um the memories. Began, to me. But anyway, yeah, the, the memories I began developing of what took place, mm. I began to have more and more conscious memory. Those weren't scary memories, and so uh, in my early thirties, I, I had a catalyst um, contact where I realised that I was not being hurt, and that these were actually the same entities who'd been working with me as a child, and right. all fear just left me just like that. Oh,
1: okay. Okay. All right, so so as a child, you're having these angels visit you. Your mum's saying, oh, it's angels, and you're going, lovely, I've got angels coming. And then as a young adult, you're, you're like missing time, I don't know, like confusion, and then in your 30s, it's like the pennies dropped and it's like yes. all fallen into place. Mm. Okay, okay. And so in your 30s, how often were they coming to um, collect you? <laughs>
0: Well, I have quite a quite a uh, substantial amount of memories of of those, some of which I describe in my book, uh, some of which i 'll be utilizing in my next book because they wow. characterize certain things that I want to talk about in, yeah. in that book but um, yeah i, I don 't know how many others I had that i don 't recall, and right. I actually have still have a lot of partial memories that i 've never explored in regression. I can remember the beginnings and ends or pieces from the middle of events. But there are quite a number um, where I remember virtually the entire entire episode. And those are the ones that I've been really focusing on recently in terms of the technology that I observed and used. And I've developed um, speeches about that technology and been contacted by a lot of scientists who are confirming what I have said and have said for decades.
1: So is your uh, commitment in this lifetime, so I'm just reading the, the alien agenda for human advancement. So your agenda as a dual soul is to help the advancement of human consciousness or human technology or both.
0: Well, I think the, um, the task within the programs that I outline is actually quite complex. And it, you, you can't just say, well, it's this or it's that, because it's, it's a number of those things mixed together. Um, but yes, uh, uh, there's probably millions of people involved in this. And, yeah. um, and it's about raising our consciousness because, and I know that that's actually become a very trite a trite phrase that is used um to almost to the, almost to the point where it's meaningless now.
1: No, it's not meaningless at all. i d I don't think it's it's not I've dedicated my life to Susie, it's not yes. meaningless at all to me. <laughs> That's right. But but
0: to skeptics and to people who don't understand or who don't follow spiritual things and who don't follow the UFO field, who are outside of the 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 movement to raise consciousness and clean up the environment and all of those awareness kind of things it it doesn't necessarily mean a lot to them and those are the people that we actually need to reach it's all very well speaking to the converted but it's Mm. actually the unconverted and the people who who never think about these things that we actually have to wake up and that's what i was trying to say
1: i know look i have my brother staying with me at the moment you know events he's been living in perth he lost his job he's got a new job in sydney so his family's over there he's staying with me until his family can come back Anyway, and I've been knocking on his door talking about aliens and stuff. I said, do you believe in them? Like a few weeks ago, he came and stayed with me for a week. And then he went back and came back again. And he was like, I'd like to think that they're real. Like, I just the level of hypnosis that he's under. Let me tell you, I put on the television, you speaking to Suma last night. And I, just that one of the little clips she's got, like the two minutes clips. And I said, so what do you think of this? And he couldn't even hear it. It's like, it doesn't exist. It's mm. like he's hypnotized. It's just bizarre. It's bizarre. He just kind of goes, hmm, interesting. And he's like on his computer and it's like, oh yeah, interesting. Like it, it's bizarre. Mm. It's the level of um, non-awareness. Yeah, well, you know, I think it, it also relates to what
0: the ETs call the the, the readiness of humanity and right. the preparatory stage that many people have to go through. And so the preparatory stage is this constant chipping away, you know, the drop of water dripping, right? Uh, repetitive reminding that this exists, this exists, you know, have you thought about this? Um, and it can be, uh, there can be a lot of repetition before. Something happens in a person's life that suddenly wakes them up or shakes them up and makes them think, hang on a minute, I need to look at this. So, um, you know, and everyone is is waking up at different stages for different reasons, according to what's happening in their life and what they need to do. So I've actually, over the years, become a lot more patient. patient, um, I don't try to convert anyone. Mm -hmm. If people don't believe me or don't want to know, it doesn't worry me at all. Mm. Um because maybe their purpose is different to mine and maybe it's not necessary for them to even think about these things just now. Yeah. And sometimes people need to be really hit in the face with something before before they'll pay attention to it.
1: Yeah, exactly. But what's really interesting both my brothers I've got two brothers are absolutely obsessed with sci-fi. Obsessed. <laughs>
0: You often find that because there's a, there are subtle messages, as you know, Karen, coming through sci-fi that Absolutely. they are absorbing nevertheless.
1: Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. But most sci-fi Hollywood stuff is so negative. It's so boring to me that your story, I wish we could get your story in a movie because it's so fascinating and it doesn't involve chasing and killing and you know all the stuff that Hollywood movies think sells movies um oh, okay so et communication what have i got written down i wrote down i jotted down a couple of things i think we've talked about the agenda ah yes that was something i was uh, thinking about i was listening to somebody else talk about the et mind because obviously they think so differently to us because we have to slow down our thinking in order to actually bring it out of our mouth i know because i have connection to what i call my mob Some of them are galactic and some of them are, you know, I've got a whole range of people, beings that I speak to. And they just, I ask them so often to turn it down, turn it down, turn it down because it comes so fast that my poor little brain cannot cope and then trying to get the words out as I'm receiving the communication, I'm falling over my words as I keep getting these downloads of information. So when you're communicating telepathically with these beings, does your mind speed up? Or does theirs slow down? I mean, how does that work?
0: Okay. Well, I think the key to that for people like myself and many others who've who've gone on craft since um, early childhood, or basically from birth in terms of being on the craft as a human. Yeah. Um, I think it's the regularity and it's the growing with it from a baby, right from babyhood, um, being on a craft in what I call the playrooms where you mix with other mixed species and with greys and other species, as well as human children. And you learn the telepathic communication just through experience and spending time with them. You learn a lot of skills under the guidance of the carers, the grey carers in those rooms who who give you assistance and guidance. So by the time you reach teenager or adulthood, you're actually quite adept at communicating with them. But having said that, um, they're still light years ahead in terms of what they can do that we can't do yet. We are, I believe, and I think it's quite obvious in science and technology now that we are beca- going to become a tele- more of a telepathic society. Absolutely. We're seeing that now in um, you know, telepathically being able to move curses and, with our mind and and do things with our mind, particularly for the disabled. Um, yeah. That's where it's really beginning. Um, and I know that they can do things like they can actually cut out a whole half of a room if they're speaking telepathically communicating telepathically, and they don't want someone to hear, they can actually exclude that person. When we think about telepathy, we think about um, a thought just going out there and anyone who's able to pick it up can pick it up. Right. But with them, that is not actually the case. Um, right. They can actually send out multiple telepathic messages at once, as I describe in my book. So um, when you go on the craft, if you're there for... Um, a very short time and the time frame is you know they have to be very officious about it because they're bringing people on and off the craft for different reasons and then um, they will ask you to, they'll just say right raise up raise up is what they convey to you and you have learned from childhood to expand your aura get your awareness up start that intense focus that they are capable of so that when the activity begins you're right there ready to do it in the best possible way. So it's more about us reaching up to them, but they are very patient and they can reach down to us. And a lot of the script and things that I have seen on craft are that, that they are producing are bridging scripts, bridging computers, etc., that are halfway between what they've got and what, what we're um, producing now, so that the leap isn't too far for a lot of humans coming on the craft.
1: Right focus 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 that is just yeah uh, because humans are just so scattered in their focus they're thinking of a million things they're distracted they're on their iPhones they're driving the car they're texting me you know like Mm. we're so scattered and they've just got they've just honed this focus but something that They, they
0: they described it to me on one occasion because they can reach into your mind right out a word or a phrase or a concept that you understand and then they couch their explanation using that so they bounce it back to you
1: and um, they. but that's exactly what my mob do to me to help me teach They, they they reach in and they take my memories and they give me my memories and then they bring it back to me in the way I understand it and then I'm speaking something and I go Oh yeah, that's really cool. Like I'm getting it as I'm speaking it, you know, like I call it channeling or whatever, but they've, it's me speaking. It's my memory, but it's like they've given it back to me. It's just and they've,
0: they've enhanced it in some way. They've added to it as
1: usual. used it as a descriptive yes. of, of a concept that I'm trying to, or they're trying to relay. Absolutely. That's yeah. But it yeah. just, it just sounds very normal. It just sounds like me speaking. Uh, No one would know it was any different because it's just me speaking and it's using my memories or I'm I'm relaying what somebody else has told me. It's just really normal. Do you know what I mean? It just makes it all really normal. Yeah, that's Um, right.
0: And they think that humans are rather fickle is the word they pulled out of my mind on one occasion. Right. Where we can be very indecisive and we're quite fickle. We like one thing one day and the next day it's, it's yesterday's news. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's probably the main character trait that they found the most difficult, along with aggression, is, is our fick-
1: fickleness. Right. Mm. So I've he- I heard you say in another interview that you know the level of their consciousness is so different to us because they don't engage in the denser emotions like jealousy or um, envy or what what do you know um, or rage or anger. They don't have they don't have access or they've moved beyond that sort of way of thinking and way of feeling, but yet they do have disappointment or frustration like you said that they felt a little sort of frustrated with you like oh god
0: <laughs> yes yep there's definitely that sense of of frustration but they're very patient um and what was i going to say um sorry it slipped my mind now i was going to call well, me
1: the jealousy jealousy <laughs> think, or envy yeah, yeah.
0: yeah i think what they have is um the master analysts Right. is the way I would put it. They they are able to put emotions aside, and they do have emotions. They're able to put those emotions aside and they're able to look at things with great clarity and objectivity, right. with great logic and with advanced analytical skills. And they just cut right through something and bang, there's, there's the answer or the course of action or whatever. And so I think... Um, that development in their culture has enabled them to, to drop away anything, any other negative kind of emotional traits because everything just comes down to analysis. Well, let's look at it. Okay, this is what we'll do. This is how we feel about it or whatever. And um, it's very, very logical and quite officious when you're on the, cl- on the craft. They, their um, way of relating sometimes can seem, seem almost impersonal. It's not really impersonal from my perspective. It's just that they are being objective, clear, focused, and analytical.
1: Like Mr. Spock.
0: Yes. (laughs) Good example.
1: (laughs) I know a few people like that. (laughs) Yeah, it's interesting. Okay, so do they actually find are emotions um, appealing in any way or do they think they're silly the way that we get so emotional? Maybe, mm. you know, the way we experience excitement or joy or, mm. or trepidation or um, yeah. anxiety. Do they find that interesting or intriguing or are they beyond it?
0: Well, that's an interesting question, Karen, because, I mean, um, from if I put my researcher hat on and I don't right. give you a, an actual personal answer just at the moment if i put my researcher hat on um there's a lot of people out there who say that they you know they um they do that they have lost their emotions and they want our emotions they want to learn from us and um i don't know that they've lost their emotions as i described before i think they've moved past that to the analytical clarity right Um, so they they find our emotions somewhat amusing and they can con- contribute to those emotions and, and have a sense of humour. And I'll give you a quick example. I was following along behind a grey who was a piloting a craft. I was a small craft I was going on to. He was returning me home. Right. And I was walking behind him and I was looking around in this hangar at all the different craft and, and thinking, you know, wow, this, these are wonderful. And, um, and in her... He conveyed to my mind an image of himself um, flying a, a, an old, a, a, new, a um, human fighter plane.
1: I've got the image. I got it immediately.
0: A human <laughs> fighter plane. And there he is. And he's yeah. got a leather cap and everything and goggles. Yeah. yeah. And he's putting it into my mind. And um, just to amuse me. And and I sort of telepathically went, oh, yeah, something like that. You know, just a flippant thought. About it, and so he conveyed another one. And he'd already reached into my mind, found something I was familiar with, which was a program, on a uh, kids' program years ago, um, where they fly around in little little open spacecraft. Okay. And so he, he then conveyed that to me. So a comic style one. So he was mm-hmm. actually having a little repartee with me while we were walking to the craft, and it was all telepathic. But it showed that he was appealing to my sense of humour. He was coming down to to meet my sense of humour and what would make me happy and amuse me. And you mentioned joy before. Um, They certainly experienced that. And uh, in one of the chapters in my book, um, A Glimpse of Cosmic Culture, this was the chapter when I first started working with Dr. Schild, Rudy. Mm. Um, This was the chapter I was the least keen to send to him because i thought he won't understand this this is just going to sound too way out and he said give me the give me the worst chapter you've got give me the one you think is the most out there so i sent that one yeah and that was the one he came back with some of the most comments about and from a an astrophysics and cosmological point of view that was the one he understood and that was where they they disintegrated their bodies and um In this room that that i referred to as the big brain where there was this very enhanced consciousness that we don't know anything about yet but they were able to experience this amazing sense of joy and well-being and happiness which they conveyed to us and there were seven humans in that room watching them and experiencing this and we all broke down and cried because the joy was so intense it became tearful and And almost painful
1: wow that's amazing Susie that's just amazing
0: it was very interesting
1: (laughs) Uh, as you talk about it I you know I see it in my mind Um, oh you know I just want to sit there for a minute and just experience that (laughs) you've got me lost in that in that story now um, so, why did Rudy find that so fascinating? Sorry, my nose is running. As an astrophysicist, why did he find that chapter so fascinating?
0: Well, it was more as a cosmologist that he oh, right. appreciated that. And um, looking at uh, studying consciousness and aspects of consciousness for many years, right. um, because that chapter um, in that chapter, I describe so many different aspects of consciousness as we moved through this experience that they'd taken us into a room specifically to experience. And they actually wanted to see, they had a small group of humans. We'd all been on board craft since children. We were part of these programs. And they actually wanted to see how far they could take us. What they wanted to do was see if we could actually disintegrate the, the atomic structure of the body. And um, none of us could, but we, we got we got as close as probably humans could get to that. And they told us afterwards, this is what humans will do far in the future. Right. Mm -hmm. And I just wanted to see with the training they'd given us um, whether we could just let go enough to do that. We couldn't on that occasion.
1: So you were in your physical, you were a child at this point? No, no, I was an adult. Oh, you're an adult. And you're in your physical body. You're in your your human um, meat suit. (laughs) And they were asking you to focus in a way that would disintegrate the body yes. So like you would become invisible like it, like no it,
0: no we, we watched them um, they they one of the um, p- the gray who was uh, facilitating it, shall I say right. was communicating with us telepathically saying what they were going to do, telling us not to panic, you're going to right. see something take place
1: right.
0: and then um, they warned us that they would start to disintegrate and we saw. My husband's done some wonderful images of this. He's not a graphic artist, but, you know, he's done a good job, I think. And um, they began to disintegrate. And as they began to disintegrate and spiral, they changed. The, it was like a mist. It was like a coloured mist. And they all were wow. using different colours that disintegrated and, um, and swirled around and combined together. And then they asked us to start participating. So first of all, they said, "We could we think of something, an object we would like them to form using that coloured mist." So we had someone um, thought, "Oh, well, a pencil." So a pencil appeared in the air. You know, a lotus flower appeared in the air. A bumblebee appeared in the air. They just went and they were showing us how matter can disintegrate and then reform and it was reforming differently to how it originated. So I still don't, I, I still talk to Rudy about this. Um, yeah. The last talk I had with him about this was three hours long when I went to stay with him. Yeah. In the States. And um, um, so I'm still trying to get my head around this experience myself and look at the different factors that I described within it. And that was what really attracted Rudy to it, was this description of consciousness and what took place in this room that was enhanced by a particular light. Right. A bright light.
1: You know, it's so interesting. Yogananda talks in his book about his teacher, who had left his body, doing exactly the same thing, reforming um, out of the cosmos atoms in a physical body and he came back to him as a physical form in physical form in in a in a body that looked like his teacher to and touched him and gave him you know like a hug and and then and dematerialized and um at the time i read that which was many many years ago i'm like nah (laughs) you know nah (laughs) like (laughs) but uh and then many years ago when I was almost a kid, like a teenager, I went to see a psychic and and he told me his little dog did the same thing after he died and jumped up on his knee and said, you know, thank you for being a great, um, you know, so nice to me. And again, when I was young, I'm like, nah. <laughs> so it's so fun. but it's so yeah, fascinating. That,
0: that's a one. That's a wonderful little story. Um, thanks, Karen. That's really interesting. That animals, you know, it's it's not just um, humans or entities. It's all kinds of objects or uh, forms that have consciousness. It's as simple as that. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. Um, after a, my book came out, I was contacted by um, a gentleman in the states called Carlos, and um, and he said, Susie. Um, What you've described in that chapter, I've experienced on a craft too. And he said, get um, Dr. John Mack's book, Abduction. I am chapter seven, I think, seven or eight, I think it was, and I'm the Carlos he talks about in his book. So I rushed to my cupboard and got the book out, and oh, my goodness. Um, You know, I got out a ruler and a pen, and I started underlining everything that was the same that we were describing, and the whole chapter was just full of lines. Um, so we are still in communication today we are still making sense of something that we can both um, describe almost identically and i think that's um it's very encouraging when when you get that corroboration between experiences
1: it's so exciting don't you think like i mean the evolution of human consciousness is so exciting Mm. you turn on netflix or mainstream television and try and watch some entertaining and it's so boring because mm. it's just the regurgitation of the same thing it's um you know like mystery or or <coughs> you know it's just so boring and when you think about what we can do with our consciousness mm. and where we could go and how entertaining this could be it's just
0: yes just, uh, that's right karen and um i was talking to on Skype to a group in the states the other day and um and this is what we were talking, exactly what we are talking about was the frequency that is emitted by those kinds of programs. And, you know, sometimes there are entertaining good things on television and sometimes there are not. But I think people are becoming more aware of what frequency is emitted by that program and does it match me? Does it actually make me feel good or should I just turn this off and not watch this? And it's the same with music, it's the same with advertising and all sorts of things um i think people are becoming much more aware of the frequency that's given off by things and whether or not that feels good or not
1: absolutely absolutely we've got this amazing guidance system absolutely mm-hmm. yeah. but i i do yeah you know i'm not going to go there you know my sister-in-law watches those endless crime things you know that like and just hypnotize sitting there this stuff pumping into her brain it's like all about violence. Um, okay, so let's talk about the uh, you know your mob. Your you said that when you're on craft, there's a whole um, there's a whole lot of different aliens. It's not like you're just speaking to one group, and you call them the greys. But the greys, it's a bit like saying humans. You know, when you look at humans, there's so many different types of humans. So the greys are the same, aren't they? They're just like. Do you want to talk about the different? Types of yep. grays. Well, um, the, the enigma for me is
0: the abduction. Um, is the abduction experience that people talk about? I don't call myself an abductee, although sometimes no. people label me as that incorrectly.
1: Yeah, um, yeah. Contactee would be a better word, wouldn't well,
0: it? Well, contactee is already taken by you know back in the fifties and sixties by a different group. Um, but a lot of people these days are calling themselves a contactee. <laughs> um i call us all communicators simply putting us all lumping us under one umbrella because that's what we're doing
1: right. um,
0: and try to break down those barriers that exist between the groups and sometimes there's, there can be a lot of antagonism between those those various groups right. about what they've experienced and how they feel about the ets and i understand that um having been through that little fearful path myself i know what that feels like um but, yeah, I th- on the craft, um, certain ET races or species are here, have been called here by what I call our spiritual hierarchy of this planet who oversee the incarnation of spirit, of souls onto the planet. And um, they, they put out a call for help because um, they could foresee what was happening on the planet, that we were developing technology that wasn't keeping pace with our development of uh, spirituality and consciousness. We're getting ahead with our technology and we're using it to hurt and harm and maim rather than, um, than to nurture the planet and to nurture humanity. So um, I think it, depending on whether you're involved in the agenda I describe, you will. if you are, you will see a species of grey. And I say a species of grey because it would appear from what many abductees say that there are a variety of species and some behave quite negatively and others do not but certainly on the craft i've been on to i have seen um, mantids i've seen various forms of greys and i've seen human-like entities very tall and thin very nordic looking right um and I've seen mixtures of all of these and that's where the, the real differences start coming in in terms of eye shape, eye colour, um, the way they communicate, their physical form, the colour of their skin, the texture of their skin, and how they how they operate. So um, you know, I think that there's just as much diversity out there and and intermixtures as there are is on our own planet
1: yeah um, yeah exactly and I
0: describe in my book when I spoke to the human like tall thin human like um beings uh it was like sp- telepathically communicating i I likened it to um speaking to someone who's speaking English with a slight accent with a a slight um you know like listening to a German person speak English yeah. or a chinese person's person speak English. there was almost a telepathic dialectual difference if I can put it that way so um, these are all things that many humans have grown up on board craft um, experiencing and seeing and the diversity is certainly out there
1: yeah wow so it's always been a benevolent um, you know experience for you with all of them none of them have had any sort of malevolent agenda have they
0: no, I've never, never ever experienced anything malevolent, dangerous, hurtful or harmful. The only things that got me initially and frightened me was the missing time and um, and the circumstances under which that happened. But as I moved further along the track, I began to understand why it happened that way and why it had to happen that way and through that um, process of coming to terms with it and looking at it and understanding it that took me forward many many steps in the whole process so it was very valuable when I look back on it um, that time of assimilation and coming to terms with my experiences was extremely valuable
1: yeah yeah so do you think that a lot of the fear that we experience as humans is just a misunderstanding it's just a not knowing like false evidence appearing real it's just that we don't understand it so we we become terrified
0: Uh, are you meaning karen in terms of et contact
1: yeah in terms of et contact yeah exactly
0: okay um well yeah putting my researcher hat on i can say that um it may be that some people uh, they they may lapse out of the um, altered state of awareness that you're often put into when you're being transported, which makes things quicker and more manageable for them. Right. Um. And then you come out. You may come out of that state on a craft. You may not come out of that state for whatever reason. But if you do slip out of that um, altered state and you find yourself consciously confronted with. Um, an entity that's got a big head and it's pale and it's got big black eyes and it's um, expressionless and it's doing something to you, then you're going to feel fear. And that fear is going to immediately cut you off from any telepathic communication they may be trying to make with you. It's going to cut you off from any um, feelings of love or care that they're trying to emanate to you. That's only one example. I know that many abductees wouldn't agree with that, but it is a logical possibility. Um, and, and also I think it just depends on what part of the program or agenda you may be a part of and yeah. what your purpose is and why you're there and what part of the program you're a part of.
1: Yeah. And it, and fear cuts you off from your logic as well. Absolutely, yes. Yeah. <laughs> know, I'm not going to go. I was just thinking of was story when I hurt my knee, I, uh, my a girlfriend wanted to see what I had done and it was really ugly and I said if you see this you will go into fear and you I'll lose you I won't have someone who can help me right and she said show me what you've done and when she saw it she went into panic and it just cut her off from any logic and I'm just and she ran off and I'm like oh my god she's useless now so exactly fear just just it just you lose you, lo- you lose it just loses you it lose any sort of reason logic Oh, all right. So so these beings that are helping us evolve now, the particular ones that you communicate with, I think they've been really the mothers and fathers to humanity and human consciousness for as long as human consciousness has been inhabiting uh, physical form and life on this planet, haven't they? They're, it's like people talk about you know, alien contact started in the 50s or the 60s or the 70s, you know, they give these silly dates or, you know, the the Sumerian times or the Egyptian times, but it's just been all time. There's Mm. no time where they have not been overseeing this planet in some way. Are they the mob that you hang out with? Are they been sort of overseeing humanity for as long as humanity's Inhabited. Well, um,
0: I've been told by the greys that they were called in to do to take part in this particular agenda, and um, and that is why, in in a many of these con, um, contact experiences, um, we're very often not always, but very often we interface with a grey. Right. Not always, it may be reptilian or other species, but very often. One of the most common ones in, in my research is a grey, um, also human-like looking entities. Um, and But as to whether they have actually been part of the scientific process or development process associated with this planet long-term, I don't know. I suspect that there have been other species who have come in and done things over the, over the centuries and decades and thousands of years. Um, and it may be that some of these species that I'm talking about have have not got such a long association with the planet that they've come more recently to assist right. because they have certain skills that are required in this um, process of raising evolution and, and carrying out certain
1: tasks. Right, right. I, I was thinking that the mantids had probably been around since time began. I don't know. I, I get a sense that they seem to be the architects of the universe. Um, with time, so they have a completely different lifespan and time than we do as humans, they they would see souls, like one life as a grey would see a soul maybe incarnate into a few human lives, wouldn't they? Because their time is different to us. Um, yes, would... I
0: thought, yeah. I, I don't know about the time factor. I mean, time doesn't... Time exists in our understanding and they have to com- comply, shall I say, with our understanding of time when they're bringing a lot of people on board craft for various reasons. But yes, um, I have seen on craft what I call the rootstock of the greys, which probably isn't um, uh, particularly complimentary if I can put it that way. But um, I've seen these these greys that appear to be extremely ancient. They're not very tall. And so that sort of blows away the theory that a lot of people have that the tall greys are the intelligent ones and the tall greys are the bosses and the, right. the little greys are cloned workers. Well, that may be the case. It's not what I have experienced. Right. But these, um, these greys are extremely lined. They're much you know, smaller and um, very, very old and very revered. And I have seen them right. on only a handful of occasions on... On um, at times when something has been happening with the group of humans I've been in that was significant to them for some reason and I've seen them appear and they are um, maintained as a pure race, if I can put it that way and and I, I that's why I call them the rootstock because from them they have developed these different species and strains of grays from my understanding
1: So would they in our time be hundreds maybe thousands of years old these little guys that are i don't i don't know Uh,
0: know. i've never been told that it's possible
1: so Susie, what have you learned from because you're a communicator or contactee or experiencer as well as a researcher what have you learned from people that you've worked with um in your research that you didn't know from your experiences um probably a lot
0: yeah yeah (laughs) a lot um because there are so many different kinds of experiences out there and there are people who there are people who um have had random experiences that that don't relate to my own experiences in any way but which which seem perfectly feasible in terms of 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 what i understand of contact um and then there's people who've had um experiences very similar to mine and and um they've been able to corroborate technology or activities or perspectives all kinds of things when you get that corroboration coming together i think that that is our initial form of evidence starting to form you know you have the skeptics and the scientists calling out for evidence (laughs) well um corroborative good corroborative evidence such as I've been coming across in recent years is is the first step towards that, I believe, because it's, you know, you can't take a photo on the craft, it's not going to happen. You can't steal something off the craft, they're not going to let you. And all those facile arguments that sceptics put forward, why don't you do this or why don't you do that? And that's because they don't understand the environment on the craft when you're on there and, and what you're there for. So, um... I think what I have learned is the resilience of mankind, mm-hmm. and um, and actually how far we can stretch ourselves, and actually how amazing our brain and our consciousness is, and and how far we will go in the future. But it's that bringing the spirituality up um, planet, planetary wise. So that we become a planetary species at the moment we're not even a planetary species because mm. we're totally divided mm. um, into little segments and until we can create some unity we don't have that strength of consciousness and that commitment to um, conform if i can put it that way not in a in a negative sense, or, yeah. but to 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 actually have the commitment to make changes on the planet that's going to benefit us and benefit other species out there who may be affected if we um, blow ourselves up.
1: Well, I know, I know, I know conformity. I think that, you know, the human mind loves we love to talk about how individual we are, you know, it's like me and my and different to you. And we love to celebrate the difference between us. Mm. And I think that we think it's going to be boring if we kind of have this hive mind that the, mm. that the higher extra dimensional beings have. But I think that that's probably a misconstrued concept too. Um, You know, like, how do we maintain our individuality, and still have a collective consciousness that's more of a, a, a cooperative hive mind? Uh, you know, a, as you say, conform like conform to a more positive agenda than, um, yeah. What well, do Well, you- I
0: think um, I think there's uh, conformity and conformity. Yeah, I think what the ETs have been able to do is um, maintain some individuality, um, and I have seen that as a child. I was taken into their living quarters on the craft when I was twelve, and I was shown ways that they relax and and have some time out. Right, and so through those mediums, through that technology and those activities, they can maintain some individuality, but what they've learned to do is control that so that it doesn't, um, the individuality is not so selfish and not so ego-based that it affects the whole, that yeah. it affects the whole of their society. And I think that's what's happening to us today. We're also yeah. concerned about being individual. We see conformity as a negative thing. Well, yes, it can be if it's um, focused on a, on a negative act or a negative um, faction, but conformity can also be translated um, under those circumstances to that word that's very important to me and that's commitment yeah conform to a commitment to the planet and to changing things in a positive sense that's not losing your individuality it's using your individuality to choose something that is a is positive and constructive and to join with other people of like mind. And I think that's where we're going wrong. We haven't understood that yet.
1: Yeah, I know. I know. I think about this every day. You <laughs> How do we, how do we, it says my internet connection's not good, but uh, how do we help people understand that? How do we raise people's consciousness so that they get it? You know, I think, I think, definitely spreading loving messages and more connective positive messages is the way i try to do it because when you feel that love you're um you're more concerned you're more empathetic towards the plight of the planet or the animals or you know
0: yeah i think it's a timing thing for every person um, but I think leading by, uh, showing by example, being actively involved in positive pursuits and, um, and sharing that with your friends and family and workmates, um, even in a small way, can cause that flow on effect.
1: Yeah. I think that the reality of the connectivity between all of us is something that we need to understand to maybe help. You speak about... Uh, in the book and i've heard you say this on other shows you know when we set off the bomb how the impact of that had such an effect on beyond this world like there's nothing that you can do or think that doesn't affect the consciousness of all you know people have spoken about this for years the butterfly's wings in africa is affecting you know me over here and you and in new zealand and me in australia or whatever but there is this connectivity of consciousness and energy that so what we do think and feel and what we do how we do act does affect the whole do you want to talk about what you saw when the bomb went off and what they showed you Uh,
0: my chapter in my book is called the galaxy screen and um, I was with a group of humans who had been divided into groups by the greys and there were several greys with each group and I can describe it like in a large room, and in, in what we just would describe as a buzz group situation, where there were groups of greys and humans sitting around, and they were finding out about our lives and our and our hobbies and the things that interest us. So they were informing themselves about these everyday aspects of our lives, and um, and I expressed an interest in space. Not that I'm any astronomer or astrophysicist, but I, I love it and uh, so one of the greys because they're very hot on educating you immediately if you express an interest in something right said, do you want to come in and look at something related to that so I said yes so off we went immediately up this spiral ramp that I understood went up to the top of the, the craft and I was taken into a room which was initially confusing because I could see that it was a square shape but it seemed it seemed spherical so there was this um, mm. a, a real confusion about what, what am I in here? Mm. Um, and in the centre of the room on a pedestal was this big sloping screen. And it was divided into thousands of, or hundreds of little um, uh, grids, like, like a mass, mass grid. And, um, and superimposed over underneath that grid was our Milky Way galaxy, was our galaxy. And um, that's why I nicknamed it the galaxy screen and he showed me how um, just by touching a grid he could bring up into the air around in the room this uh, a holographic display you might want to call it um, augmented reality so he could bring up whatever was in that so be it a a dust cloud or be it um a a group of planets or whatever then he could zoom them in and out so uh we we played around with that for a bit he let me touch some grids and see what came up uh it was phenomenal and he he i won't go into it but he described what their database was like which just completely blew dr shield's mind when we talked about this So then he said to me okay I'm going to show you something because this will help you with your sense of commitment in your life and he reached into my mind as I've described before and he drew out a phrase which was this will give you fire in your belly. So um, he then brought up uh, the grid that had our planet in it and he, he made it so that earth was hanging there and he talked about Um, how something had happened in our recent past which was extremely significant which was why a lot of races have come to the planet uh, before that time and just after and um, he asked me to prepare myself because i was going to see something sobering and then he began to make reduce the size of the planet and um and i saw the eruption take place and i saw the the um etheric or the the shock waves that went out through our magnetic field um right out and he kept reducing the size of the planet down smaller and smaller so that i could see that shock wave going further and further and further out and the further it went out through the solar system and into space the wider it got and it seemed like the more unstable the waves got of of
1: motion sort of
0: wobbly and he said this is the effect that goes out that you don't as a species, do not understand the harm that you are doing and the harm that could um, be wreaked upon other civilizations out there. Um, It was a very sobering experience. I have discussed this in depth with my good friend, Robert Salas, who um, uh, is a military whistleblower in the States, who talks about his Malmstrom Air Force Base experience when the... the, um, Atomic warheads were were Minuteman missiles, were brought up out of the ground and were switched off by a UFO that came over the base. Yeah, yeah. So um, he understands deeply how I I would have felt when I saw that because Mm -hmm. now, of course, he's an anti-nuclear campaigner. Right, right. He's gone full circle. And um, so that was a very sobering experience and it brought home to me what you were talking about a minute ago, Karen, about how everything affects everything else. And, um, and I didn't know, I, I sort of found that amazing and fascinating way back then. But of course, um, it's only just recently, in recent years, we've had high speed photography that is able to pick up the shock waves from explosions and um, missiles, etc., we can see that shock wave going out into our, our own atmosphere. So you multiply that to a, an atomic or nuclear explosion, and you've got a much bigger um, vibratory wave that's going out there.
1: Oh, there's a few things I want to say. Um, okay, waves. I want to talk about waves first wave, second wave, because you know, like. <laughs> Dolores Cannon, you know, has talked about the first, second, third wave. But, you know, as I heard it, it was like when that shock wave went out, that's when the, as she put it, but you've got a, a slightly expanded version of this. The first wave started incarnating wave of consciousness of people mm. coming to the planet. But um, in my little group, we have an online discussion group We were talking about one of uh, the people in the group had read a book and it said in the book that the ETs have disarmed all nuclear weapons on the planet. And she said, what do you think of that? So I asked my mob and they said, well, um, they're not disarmed as such, but if they were to activate them, they would be disarmed because they just won't let it happen. The the ET presence won't let it happen anymore because, because of what you've spoken about. Um, but they said to me that uh, we, we still think, we haven't, you know, let the consciousness of the people that hold these, they still think they have this power in their hands, but the truth is that we won't let them use it. Mm. That, is that something that you've confirmed with your uh, no, No, that
0: actually hasn't ever been confirmed to me. Um, right. I still think that they're allowing us time to make our own. Um, decisions and to to deal with our own problems. This right. is um, it, it's interesting. You raised Dolores Cannon and the three waves because I'd just like to make a bit of a statement here. Um, in 2007, I spoke at a conference in Sydney, and that was the first time I had ever introduced a little bit of information at the end of my speech about the three waves. And I put some charts up that I would formulated from the information. The Greys had been giving me about this since the age of eight right through adulthood. Yeah. And um, Dolores visited visited Sydney a couple of months, three or so months later, and was given a copy of my DVD. Right. And, um, and within a couple of months, she was speaking um, about the three waves and then put out a book just before I did. So um, I just wanted to make the point that I was talking about this a long time ago. Um, and, um, yeah, what Dolores actually states in her book about the what three waves is quite limited. And I think I have a much broader perspective on, right. on the three waves. Um, I, from my understanding, they began incarnating well over a hundred years ago Right. and, um, and the, and, and I've just actually written an article about, um, A lady in New Zealand who would be well into her 80s now she was still alive and I consider that she was a first waver she was a real um, enlightener and the first wave also um, includes it's quite a complex description that I give in my book about it the first wave also includes um, what some people call the star kids Um, I think that's an overused term now but um, the star kids um, are purported by some researchers to be the be all and end all and they're here to save us and all the rest. But that's right. not what was explained to me by the ETs over the years, that they are just a, a smaller part of the first wave and that it's actually the third wave that I describe in my book that will take us into the, ch- into the future and be the game changers and um, and create that change from within which is what we we're talking about a minute ago, whether or not the ETs would let us blow ourselves up. From my understanding, they're, they're letting us, let, letting these third waivers get into position to try to change things, to try to change some of the old structures, belief systems and institutions on the planet so we can actually move forward and put a stop to some of these things before they have to step in and be like the... Um, the occupying force to do that yeah,
1: but yeah. They want us to do it yeah well that's that's the communication i got that in the minds of the people that hold the weapons they still believe they have that power as a nuclear force yes but if they were to detonate it that's when they would step in because of the effect that it would have on the the rest of the universe but in their own minds they want us to change our minds and say we don't want to use it. Like they're giving us that opportunity to change our minds. They're not saying, right, your weapons are all disarmed. They're giving us that opportunity. But, you know, to talk about the first wave, when you talk about the first wave, I think of people like um, Madame Blavatsky, who was in the uh, 18th century or 19th century. that's right. And, um, yeah, there were, you know, in Yogananda, like there were quite a few beings on the planet that were amazing beings um
0: they were uh, enlightening people and they were introducing people to like like my great aunts for example in new zealand who were in groups in auckland and the early spiritual groups and spiritualist groups and and healing groups that um that were quite unusual for a very small conservative population but they were right in there involved in that and and i think they they began to open people's minds to possibilities and there's always been people on the planet who are doing that but I think we had quite a little upswing there for a while and some people became quite prominent because of it.
1: Yeah, Yeah but I'm just thinking that after the war you know like the baby boomer generation I think that definitely they upped the ante didn't they they definitely sent more souls into into bodies that would be look. just in my experience so I'm in my mid-50s now when I was in my 30s I was running the Academy of Light I was surrounded by women in their 50s and 60s and 70s like I was surrounded by an older generation Mm -hmm. that were um, all talking about consciousness and meditation and stuff and I wasn't surrounded by people in my my like when I was in my 30s I was not surrounded by my age group. Now that I'm in my 50s, it's funny, I said, you know, I'm surrounded by these fat old women and now I've become one of the fat old women. <laughs> now I see this wave that you talk about and they're in their 20s and 30s who were children then who are incredible. You know, in Australia, they've got um, these startups; like they're doing this stuff. It's amazing what they're doing. It's just incredible. Um, creating technology and creating businesses that are that that help put you know wells in africa and just amazing things that really in really practical ways really really practical ways just geniuses just these intelligent young human beings doing amazing things yeah and uh
0: that's right karen and um in relation to the older generation um I think um the second wave what that I describe in my book is the wave that I'm in and that's right. um, it's more of a finite wave because it 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 in in the uh, chart I do they, it comes down like this it doesn't extend into the future the first wave keeps extending into the future with souls incarnating with that purpose the third wave keeps extending into the future but that second wave is finite and and right. but there's millions or hundreds of thousands of people in that second wave who are going to really start um, coming out of their shells and talking about their experiences. And I say this in my speeches, you know, there'll be grandparents and there'll be great grandparents. Um, They'll have led all kinds of um, interesting lives. They'll be respected by family and community. And suddenly they'll feel a need to talk about something that happened to them years ago that they've never really described to anyone. Right, are you and calling this, them the
1: communicators, right? Yeah,
0: and when yeah. this starts coming out, that's really going to up the ante because so yes. many people are going to say, but that's a respected person, you know, um, and, and they're saying yeah. this, that they experienced this when they were younger. And I really think that's going to be a little game changer that happens along the timeline. And the third waivers that I talk about, um, I think that. The, the greys referred to them as the concealed ones not in a negative sense but simply that they are not overt they're not out there like um the first waivers who you know star kids or whatever people like to label them um they're not out there openly showing these abilities they are more focused like the greys are on getting into positions of power and authority in a positive sense not a negative sense. Um, in their 30s and 40s and late 20s so that um when a time comes and the timeline convergences hits the right note they are in the right place to positions of authority to make those changes when the changes time comes that people demand the changes they're in the position to okay do it right and they will have all of these psychic things that we we attribute to to star kids but they keep it under wraps and they use it through their day-to-day work in a way that's subtle, that doesn't draw attention to themselves because it's most important to the greys that they are not seen as different like, this, like many of the so-called starkers, different. They, they must be seen as good human beings with extraordinary talents that oh. people uh, um, respect. Yeah. And so they're the ones who are going to move us on into the future.
1: I see many of them all the time. Yeah, I really do, yeah. But I guess that, yeah, like you're in that second wave, I'm in that second wave. I think I speak to the second wave as a, as my mandate is to support, accelerate uh, and help, act, you know, activate the new world teachers. Mm-hmm. They're the communicators, the people that, you know, to give you a voice, just to give you a share your story. That's mm-hmm. what I feel like. I mean, this Especially. is what... That's and
0: what your I you're certainly doing that very well, Karen. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, darling. So
1: are you. <laughs> We're doing our job, honey. We're doing our job. But yes, yeah, I think it just so. makes sense. It all makes sense. I'd love to get into that a bit more. But anyway, so you're gonna be out in Australia very soon. I don't know how long we've been talking, forever, I huh? <laughs> what time did we start? About ten o'clock, that's not too bad. Um so you're going to be in Sydney in July. We're in June at the moment. Do you want to yep. tell people where you're going to be? Okay, well, I'm going to be start off in Brisbane speaking for
0: um, UFO Research Queensland, um, and I'll be speaking there on, I think it's the 29th, and then I'll be flying through to Sydney on the 30th, and I'll be speaking at the UFO PRSA paranormal, UFO and Paranormal Group in Campbelltown on the 5th of July and I'll be speaking at UFO Research New South Wales um on
1: the 7th I think I've got it here somewhere but um yeah, yeah. and that's in ride um no um, yes I think it's in ride in yes. ride yeah, yeah yeah where are you staying when you come to sydney are you staying at a hotel
0: um, well, I haven't heard yet, but um, I'm going to be doing some research with researcher friends over there and going to visit um, one of my, a Kiwi who works, uh, is part of my staff on U Focus and Z, but he lives in Australia, he's a mm. New Zealander, so we're going to be doing a bit of um, historic research together, so it's more of a research combination speaking trip
1: Oh, beautiful oh darling there's so much more we could talk about I, I i wanted to touch on the um you know you meeting the soul of your son before he incarnated into the physical body but people just have to read it in the book won't they <laughs> i think so yeah so, so my
0: been- book is available on amazon as a kindle and as a paperback and it's available on barnes and noble and okay, if people great. want one of the copies that. The few copies I've got left that actually have coloured images in, they can go to www.communicatorlink.com and they can purchase it directly from me there.
1: Oh, okay. So you've got a few with coloured uh, yep. images in there. Are you going to be bringing books with you to Sydney?
0: Oh well, yes, I'll be bringing some of the ones with coloured images. With the colour, and, uh, beautiful. And, yeah, they'll be available at the speeches
1: oh gorgeous and also i'll put my amazon links up on my website if you want to support the show you can always buy the books on amazon through my affiliate links and that gives me a few cents and it supports the show because uh you know i do the show out of uh the love and not for the money i don't get paid to do this as you do you're not getting paid to do this either but it's just crazy that we need to be paid to do anything on this planet you know the et's are well beyond this whole money system that we're involved in i can't wait for us to get with the program like they are that's right you <laughs> <laughs> make life much easier on this planet if we had that sort of consciousness that they have but susie it's been absolute joy and a pleasure to speak with you today thank you so much for being on the show thank you very much for the opportunity karen i hope uh, i get to meet you in sydney i'm definitely going to come to the sydney one in july and um uh, buy you. one of the books so that'll be that'll be an absolute joy
0: I look forward to that
1: okay another fascinating fascinating conversation with Susie Hansen there was so much more that we didn't speak about um oh, I just ran out of time just had to go and get the car fixed all these practical things we have to do as humans but uh, the technology on board the ships, that was something I wanted to talk about too. She sent me a photograph of a light elevator. Some people called it a teleporter where you step into this um, beam of light and you just think about where you want to go in the, in the form of an image, like a symbol. The symbol represents where you want to go to different parts of the ship and you're instantly transported there in this um, beam of light, <laughs> Isn't it fantastic? I just love it. I just love it. I can't wait for that technology to be more um, inside the human world. But we we need to raise our consciousness first before we can play with technology like that. We need to be a bit more connected and a bit more loving and caring of each other and the other beings that live on this planet, the animal beings, the plant beings, the rock beings, the earth herself. So thank you again for watching another show, Accentuating the Positive, Expanding Consciousness. And uh, I'm going to go and have another cup of tea, (laughs) lemon and ginger cup of tea, winter here in Australia. As you can see, we're all all, uh, rugged up and I will uh, see you again for another show next time. I've got a few people coming up in July We're going to talk about astral traveling and all sorts of things coming up. So stay tuned for more shows, expanding your awareness and consciousness. Bye for now.